If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, where we're going to look at how the Apostle Paul engaged the culture around him with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. March is our month of missions emphasis. And many of you have been following our daily prayer guide and praying for missionary families and their work. I would encourage you to take advantage today. Uh, Some of you have already been through in your Sunday school hour of the prayer walk set up in the CAC. They did a tremendous job, our missions team, setting that up. So I encourage you, if you weren't able to go do that, to be sure to stop by uh, after church and walk through. If you have more time this afternoon, come back and spend some time really prayerfully walking through uh, and reflecting upon those individuals and the work that the Lord has called them to uh, in this area and around the world. So please do that. It's a tremendous uh, effort on their part and a tremendous uh, way that we can be a part of missions is through prayer today. But I hope you've also been praying about what you might give financially to missions in the upcoming year. And I'll speak a little bit more about that here in a few moments. But this week and next week, we're going to look at our undeniable call as believers to take the gospel to all people. And I communicate that call and the strategy we have here at Mount Pleasant with this simple phrase. We're to be about sharing the gospel across the street and around the world. To be about sharing the gospel across the street and around the world. And this week we're going to focus on sharing across the street. And the next week Dr. Jerry Rankin uh, is going to challenge us in the area of sharing Christ around the world. And you see the first step begins here in our hearts and here in our minds. Because before we do anything we must commit to evangelism as a way of life. Commit to evangelism as a way of life. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16, we read this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. You know, we may be tempted to read those two verses, kind of skim over them, thinking, ah, that's just, you know, insignificant background information. Let's get on to the real teaching of the text. But, you know, we would miss these first two fundamental components of evangelism if we skipped over those two verses. Paul, in these verses, is on his second missionary journey, this time with Silas. And things went well when Paul and Silas went to Philippi. They began preaching and sharing the gospel of Christ. People were responding. And one day this young lady came up who was demon-possessed. And uh, she had done that for a while. And so Paul cast this demon out of this young lady, this slave girl that was there. And the, slave, the, the owners of this young lady didn't like that because they were losing income with the fact that she could no longer do what she had done before. And so they started a riot and beat Paul and Silas physically beat them and had them thrown in prison. Well, God miraculously delivered them from prison and the Philippian jailer came to know Christ and they were released from that city. So they left Philippi and went on to Thessalonica. And things went well in Thessalonica until because people were responding to the gospel, those uh, leaders who, who were losing their power and their influence over people started a riot against Paul and Silas and tried to have them killed because they were preaching the gospel. And so they left Thessalonica and went to Berea. And things went really well in Berea. They listened, they engaged, they responded to the gospel. Things were going well 
until those knuckleheads in Thessalonica heard that they were in Berea preaching the gospel. So they sent some individuals there to start another riot to try and have Paul and Silas killed because they're preaching the gospel. And so Paul then left Berea, went to Athens, and he's in Athens waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him so he can continue his work of planting churches and sharing the gospel. Now let's be honest. Most of us, when we got in Athens, would have taken a break. Would we not? I mean, we would have healed our wounds physically uh, from from being beaten. Uh, We would have kicked back, relaxed a little bit, had a little R&R, and just said, I'm going to wait for Timothy and Silas to get here and just kind of cool my jets for a while. And with as many people as were in the city of Athens, it would have been very easy For Paul to have blended in and just sat back and done nothing for a few days until Timothy and Silas arrived. But Paul believed in the gospel message. He knew that people needed to hear that message. And he was not going to sit by and do nothing when he saw people who needed to be saved. If we do not make a strong commitment to evangelism, it will slip further and further down our list of priorities until we won't do it at all. And why is that? If evangelism is that important, and it is that important, then why isn't it easier for us to do it on a regular and consistent basis? It's because there's a force in the world that absolutely, positively does not want evangelism to happen. And he works relentlessly to do everything he can to keep it from happening. Satan is the number one deterrent and obstacle to evangelism. And why wouldn't he be? When you gave your life to Christ, you were off his list of people that he can keep in his grasp for all of eternity. He can no longer have you because you are now one of God's children and you can never be snatched from God's hand. So what do you think is going to be Satan's number one priority then in your life after you're saved? It's going to be to keep you from sharing the gospel with anybody else so that they can't be snatched out of his hand and his grasp and under his dominion for all of eternity. So Satan will use every lie, every trick, every deception possible to keep you from sharing the gospel with other people. See if these things sound familiar. Well, you don't know enough about the Bible to talk to anybody about Jesus. They'll ask you a question you don't know the answer to and you'll look foolish. You think you're going to tell somebody about Jesus? You're the biggest sinner you know. Are you not? They're going to sniff out your sin a mile away, call you a hypocrite and ridicule you. What makes you think you're good enough to tell somebody about Jesus? You're the worst sinner of all. What about the conversations and the the voices that go on in your mind to say, they'll ridicule you. They'll shun you. They'll stop talking to you, being your friend or associating with you. They'll avoid you, talk about you behind your back. Do you want that to happen? I mean, you want to be accepted. You want to be liked. And if you start talking about Jesus, nobody's going to like you. So just sit there and zip your lips. Those things sound familiar? Ever been down that road, that path, and had that conversation within yourself? 
as you prayed about and thought about sharing the gospel with someone? If we don't make a commitment to evangelism as a way of life, and I mean that we are always alert and looking for opportunities to engage people with the gospel, it will slide down our list of priorities until it just won't happen. And Satan and his minions will give you every reason and excuse not to share the gospel with people. And you know what they say about excuses, right? When you're looking for one, any excuse will do. Right? I mean, husbands, you know, your wife, you need to clean here or mow here or do whatever. And, and well, honey, the ball game's on. I, I'm waiting on an important phone call today. Or I, I got to do this over here. I got to clip my toenails or whatever. You know, when you're looking for an excuse, it doesn't matter what the excuse is. Any old excuse will do. And Satan will be more than happy to afford you with an excuse or a reason to not share the gospel with someone. Paul was committed to sharing the gospel. In spite of his experiences, he was not going to sit back and do nothing while he waited for Timothy and Silas. It says here that he was distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. That word distressed means to become angry or infuriated. Paul was upset that these people were following after these false gods and were going to spend an eternity in hell if they didn't hear the truth of the gospel. And Paul's anger and his frustration motivated him, moved him to do something about it. And that's the second fundamental component we see in evangelism is that we need to pray for a burden for lost people. We need to pray that God will give us a deep, unsatiable burden for lost people. Paul wanted these people to hear the truth and he would do whatever it took, even if it meant giving his own life so they could hear the gospel. And so I ask you this morning, are you burdened for those without Christ? Do you grieve at the thought of what will happen to people who die without placing their faith and their trust in him? Do you really believe, not just a a logical, yeah, I see it there, but do you really believe with your heart and deep in your spirit that people will spend eternity in more pain and suffering than you could even possibly imagine multiplied to infinity if they die without responding to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? If we believe that reality awaits them, then what reason or excuse could we possibly give as to why we wouldn't share the gospel message with them so that they don't have to experience that. I can't think of one. Perhaps you can that would be valid enough to say, this is why we wouldn't want to share the gospel with them. I would love to hear what that reason or that excuse is if you can think of one. Nothing we might experience as a result of sharing the gospel can outweigh the outcome of what happens for someone who dies apart from Christ. Nothing, even our death, is not significant enough to keep us from sharing the gospel. As a believer, if you shared the gospel with someone and they killed you on the spot for having speaking and shared about the name of Jesus Christ, what happens to you in that instant? You go to heaven. You're one of the Lord's children and you are with him. Do you know what that's called? An upgrade. Yeah, you're much better off 
in that situation. And there are places in the world where if you publicly share the gospel, you can die on the spot. And believers are there taking that risk each and every day, knowing that their life doesn't mean anything compared to the eternal destination of those people that they're preaching that message to. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ. What I do as I live is for Jesus Christ. And to die is gain. Paul says, I'm infinitely better off when my life on this earth is over. And if it comes because I've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, then so be it. Because if I'm sharing the message, people can respond and they can experience what I already know, what I've already received and know the benefit of. Paul was committed to evangelism and he certainly had a burden for lost people. So now let's look at how Paul engaged people with the gospel and the ramifications it has for us at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church as we think about doing missions across the street in this upcoming year. First of all, we see that just as Paul did, we need to engage people where they are. Engage people where they are. It says that Paul went to the synagogues and he engaged the Jews about the Messiah using the law. They were gathering for worship. They were gathering to study the law and the Torah that was there. Paul would say, what are you studying today? And they would read and share about it. And Paul would say, you're looking for the Messiah and and your law directs you to this Messiah. Let me tell you about him. The one who has come and who has fulfilled the law. The Messiah who's come that you can know God and experience all that he has in store for you. So Paul talked to them with what they were familiar with, the law. But it also says that Paul went to the marketplace And he talked to them day by day. So this wasn't one trip down. It was day by day that Paul went to the marketplace and talked to them and engaged them where they were with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he didn't go and talk to them about the law because the the common person walking the streets in the marketplace wasn't familiar with the law. They didn't have a Jewish heritage and background and hadn't memorized it from their childhood on. And so Paul talked to them uh, with their language and in ways that they could understand. You see, Athens was the center of Greek culture in the area of arts and philosophy. And its primary claim to fame was being the city where some of the greatest and most influential philosophers in history taught and had schools of learning. Men like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle taught and discussed their philosophies and their ideas in the city of Athens. And because these roots were there in Athens, it was a city that was steeped in religion. Uh, There were thousands of of gods and these idols that were worshipped in Athens. One ancient writer joked that it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was a man. I mean, just everywhere you went, these little temples and these idols set up of people worshipping these false gods. But because of this openness... And this dialogue about philosophical and religious ideas, this was a very good place for Paul to to preach and teach the gospel because people were open to new ideas and teachings and philosophies. So Paul began to teach about Jesus. And before before long, a crowd gathered uh, to talk with him. Look at verse 18, or they gathered to listen to him. In verse 18, it says, A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Man, this Paul, everywhere he goes, he starts a fight. 
Here he is again preaching and there's a bunch of people that are disputing him. So these philosophers I told you about, they came and they listened to Paul and they're like, well, wait a minute, Paul, if we do what you're saying here and if this Jesus taught this, then it's going to mean our life would be this. And we don't agree with that because we think our life should be this. So there began to be this battle of philosophical implications of what it would mean to follow Christ and take up your cross daily and follow him and love one another instead of self. And so there's this dialogue that begins to take place. And so these philosophers escort Paul and they say, well, we need to go to the Areopagus. We need to go to court and find out which of these ideas is the right idea. And the Areopagus was a court. It was held on a hillside and it was a place where both legal cases, if a crime had been committed, then they would come and you would try that case and they would make a decision on, on guilt or innocence there. But it was also, and more importantly in this context, it was the place where philosophical ideas were heard. People would come and they would give their best arguments as to why we're here, why we exist, what's the most important thing to pursue in life. And so they would have this dialogue and this discussion and, and the great leaders and the great teachers and philosophers who were there would make a decision and say, this is the right way. We should follow after these things. These are the things that we should pursue. And so they took Paul to this place in this court so he could talk about this Jesus guy and kind of argue his side of the story so they could decide which way was the right way. Verse 20 tells us, in Acts chapter 17, what happened when Paul got there? It says, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we want to know what they mean. Verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Ooh. How hip and progressive are they? They want to hear these latest and greatest ideas and philosophies and thoughts. And so they sat around and they listened. And they wanted to be on the cutting edge of these new thoughts that were taking place. Now, time prohibits us from walking through all of Paul's sermon here to the Areopagus. Uh, it's a great sermon of apologetics and defending your faith and, and engaging people in, in the logic, logical and, and reasonable fashion. Uh, so we don't have time to do all that today, but I do want to highlight a couple of things, some key elements in our methodology of why we do what we do in order to engage people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Verse 22 says, Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. So Paul says he walked around and he looked and he saw these temples and he was in the marketplace. He saw where they did business and how they did business in the marketplace. He went to their, their centers for learning. He went to their centers of recreation where they had the arenas and the stadiums where, where gladiators would, would battle it out. Paul saw all of these things. And I walked around your city and I looked at all these things and I can see that you're very religious because you worship after all of these things. Let me ask you, what do people worship in our culture today? You know, functionally, there are still thousands of idols in people's lives. Now, they don't have little pieces of stone or wood sitting up on their mat that they come in and bow down to or, or rub every day. But functionally, those things that they look to are for comfort, for direction, for wisdom and fulfillment, they are rampant in our culture today. We are just like the Athenians and always seeking after, looking for this next greatest thing, are we not? And so Paul said, I walked around and I looked at your culture. I've seen these things with my eyes. So Paul was there with them. He was looking at these things, thinking all the while, how can I take these things that they're familiar with and how can I connect them to Jesus? Because these things are going to leave them empty and unfulfilled and eternally separated from God. They need Jesus. So I need to help them get from here to here. And so Paul takes one inroad. He says, 
I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. You see, these people, they wanted to worship the right God because they wanted to experience the power of that God and whatever that God promised. And so they were so nervous and so worried that they had missed one that they had an altar to an unknown God. They're saying, well, just so we cover all of our bases, here's the unknown God. We don't know what his name is. We don't know what he requires of us. So, I mean, just think about that. Here's a God who you want to please. You know nothing about. You don't know how to please him, but you have an altar there to please him. I mean, how confusing can that be? So Paul says, you've got this altar to an unknown God. He says, now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Also, I'm going to pull the curtain. I'm going to turn the blinds and let the light in. You're going to see who this unknown God is that you are worshiping, even though you don't even know how to go about worshiping him. And so what Paul does is he begins his sermon, and he, first of all, he lays a foundation as God, as the creator of the universe and the author of all life. Because a big question with philosophers is, how did we get here? How did all things come to being, our knowledge and our insight? So he lays this foundation. You didn't do it on your own. God gave it to you in the first place, all right? So he lays that foundation. Then he says in verse 27, so that they know that this God who created people wants a relationship with them. He says in verse 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So he says, God wants, wants you to know him. He wants you to look after and seek for him and you'll find him. And he's not far from you. It's not this massive, difficult thing. He wants you to be able to find him and have a relationship with him. And then he used a quote from their secular, their pagan poets to point them to the truth about God through Jesus Christ. He says in the next sentence, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. That's He quotes scripture there about God giving us our, our, our freedom and, and our life. Then he says this. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul used the poets of their day, the language of their culture, things common to those lost people to be able to point them and connect them to Jesus Christ. And he masterfully uses their philosophies and their, their deductive reasoning skills to point out how all of the things that they were pursuing were worthless, that, that were dead-end streets. He says in verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. Did you see that? Paul says, your poets, your people, say that we're God's offspring. And your gods are made out of gold, silver, and stone. Do we look like gold, silver, and stone? No. And an offspring looks somewhat like that which sprung it. How's that go? I, you know what I'm saying. I mean, do we not? We, re, we resemble. Do you look like your parents? Your kids look like you? Mine are undeniable. All right. So Paul's like, we, we look like our offspring, yet they're gold, silver, and some people are going, what? Did... Okay, Paul. And then he says this, and these are gods that you made with your blades and your stones and your tools. You fashioned this God. If you create it, who's superior? That which created or that which was created. And you see people going, oh, well, 
I guess that makes sense. You know, if I can make it, it seems like I would be the superior you know, above what's there. So, so Paul uses these things. I love that Paul, how he gets in and he does this. And you go, wow, that was a good point, Paul. And they're going, oh, oh, well, well, now what? Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He moves on to the truth of the gospel. So he says, your way doesn't make sense. It goes nowhere. And he says this in verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Man, that's a way to win friends and influence people, isn't it? That's ignorant to think that way. People go, oh, I can't believe he would say that. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And verse, the end of that verse, he has given proof of this, of this judgment and of this man to all men by raising him, that is this man, from the dead. So Paul took what their poets, their people were saying and made a beeline to the cross, to the tomb, and to the empty tomb where Jesus had resurrected from the dead and promised that all those who would place their faith in him would experience the same thing. Did you see that? It's an amazing journey that Paul does and how he sees and he engages with the people, connects with them in a way that they could understand and then makes a beeline to the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ. Mount Pleasant Baptist Church seeks to engage people where they are with the gospel in a way they can understand. In a way they can understand. Paul walked around the city and he looked for ways to engage people. It was easy in the synagogues. They had the law. They were looking to serve God and it was the God who would send his son. That was an easy connection for Paul. But he walked around the marketplace going, how am I going to connect with these people? Through the business and through their recreation and through all these things. And he saw these temples and he saw this this desire for for, for religion and for this God that would be there. And he he built bridges taking what they knew of these little G-gods. And then he directed them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, church, we will do no less. Last fall, we did some outreach events and some outreach activities that were a little bit different. We had a car show here on our parking lot and had people bring in classic cars and we gave away hot dogs and soft drinks. Uh, we had a Christian comedian come and, and give two concerts one Saturday afternoon. We went door to door giving away light bulbs last fall with a note about Jesus being the light of the world and inviting people uh, to come and be a part of what the Lord was doing here. We went to the back to school bash and gave out free bottles of water as kids were getting their school supplies and getting ready uh, for this school year. We've had Sunday school classes that have gone and delivered food to, to our police officers and our other emergency personnel in our city saying, thank you for what you do. We want you to know that we pray for you and we appreciate what you do. And if we can serve you in any way, please let us know. Why do we do those things? Why would we even think about those things? Because we want to meet people in our community where they are and engage them in a way that they can understand so that we can share the gospel with them. We want to build relationships with people and break stereotypes that people have of the church and of church people. And so we're going to go where they are and we're going to build relationships and we're going to prayerfully engage them with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to do more projects and outreach events this year. And I could stand for 15 minutes and rattle off idea after idea of things that, that we could do that are potential for us. But I'm not going to do that this morning. But literally, I can tell you this. We could do a different activity every single day of the year and not duplicate an idea for a full 365 days. 
There is no shortage of ways that we can connect and meet people where they are and build relationships and engage them with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You know, another thing that we're, we're working on and we're going to develop and roll out this year is a weekly visitation. We're going to ask people to commit to coming a single night a month, which is going to give us every week we'll have people going out, but we're asking people to commit just that one night a month where they'll come and they'll visit people who have visited us for worship. And we're going to go visit people who, who we haven't seen for a while. You know, those inactive, those missing uh, in action church members that we have, that you go, I haven't seen them for a while. We're going to go and visit them. Hey, how are you guys doing? Miss seeing you guys around. We're going to go visit people who are moving to our community, who are new here and say, hey, have you thought about churches? Are you praying about where to go? We'd love to have you come and be a part of what the Lord is doing at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. I mentioned GPS earlier. Uh, on Thursday, March the 25th, uh, we're looking for 150 volunteers, 150 families to come and help us distribute GPS materials to homes in our area. The North American Mission Board's launching a massive media campaign with a simple website that says findithere.com. And people can log on there, and when they go to findithere.com, there are videos of people sharing uh, about the gospel and the difference it's made in their life and how they were seeking after things which were leaving them empty and unfulfilled, and then what a difference Christ has made in their life. It's well done. They're doing it in English and in Spanish, I know, uh, two different languages. And so people are going to go there, and they can uh, view a plan of salvation. They may give their life to Christ right there through that website, and if not, it may, it'll tell them, hey, find a local church where you can go and find it here. Find it there of how you can know Christ. And so they'll type in their zip code and we're going to come up as one of the churches in this area where they can come and they can find and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we're trying to give out 1,500 of these right here, these flyers that have all of this information at the Find It Here website. The plan of salvation is there directing them in what to do and how they would begin living their life in Christ. So we need you to come and help us deliver these along with a piece of information uh, about our, our schedule, about our website, about our contact information, and our Easter activities. We're going to list all that's going on with Easter. We're going to go door to door and we're going to give these out saying, hey, we'd love to have you come visit with us. Check us out. See what the Lord's doing at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. And so we need people to come and do that. If we have 150 people or families come that day, we'll cover 15 homes, 1,500 homes in a single day. And if you can't come that evening, then come during the day. We're going to have everything set up. You can come in, pick up a packet, take off, and go drop these off for people to be able to build bridges, open doors, and seek to engage people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So that's a way that you can literally walk through our city and connect and pray for our city and seek opportunities to engage people with the gospel. Paul quoted the poets of his day to engage people, and we seek to follow that model. We are doing things to help us connect with people in our age and in our culture in ways that are culturally relevant to them, but that ultimately point them to the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. In short, we are planning and we are thinking and we are doing things with the unchurched in mind. You saw in the video earlier how many cars drove by here last week as we were sitting in worship. Those people went by and never gave a second thought to what was taking place in here or as to whether or not they would even have a need to be here and to experience what was taking place inside these walls. James the Elder said it, and I believe it with all of my heart. He said in Acts 15, 19, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. From the time a person drives on this campus until they leave, there is no excuse for us to do anything that will create hurdles or unbiblical expectations or hoops or standards that they would have to jump through in order to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
whether those, those be how we dress, how we talk, you know, how they act and behave, those things are completely and, total, and, and utterly not important when it comes to the issue of sharing the gospel message with people who need to hear it. And we need to make sure we are not being that hurdle or that obstacle to them hearing that message of Jesus Christ. So we're going to continue to do things to help us connect with our culture in ways they understand so that we can share with them the never-changing gospel message of Jesus Christ. You know, this church looks different than it did 10 years ago. And I pray to God it'll look different 10 years from now, 50 years from now, and 100 years from now should the Lord tarry that long. Because if it doesn't, we will decline and we will die and don't think it can't happen every day in america hundreds of churches close and lock their doors for the last time and if you don't think it's true i can tell you of two churches within 10 miles of this building where you're sitting right now that have done or will be doing that in the next couple of weeks are closing their doors permanently and ceasing to exist as a local body of believers trying to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. God forbid that we ever lose sight of the call to engage the people around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way they can understand and stop reaching people. I will tell you, when we do that, you will not have to fire me as your pastor. I will quit on the spot for allowing it to take place. Because if anything in the Bible tells us that we are to do it, then we are going to do it. It is a call that is not an issue of, does it say that? It's not an issue of if. It's an issue of, will we or will we not? It is the call that God has placed on us.